on the tee from Australia, Adam Scott. There it is, Adam Scott. Expect anything different? Brilliant. What an up and down that was. In your life have you seen anything like that? Welcome to the clubhouse. Terrific to have your company on the clubhouse for Club Mandalay. Book your next round of golf at Club Mandalay. Book online, clubmandalay.com.au, and you can save 10% if you use the code CMGOLF. Darren Parkin is my name. A lot to talk about. Mark Allen is with us as always. Marco, nice to have you here. Good to see you, Dash. And we're getting close to Christmas. And uh, I'll tell you what, that sun is up in the air a lot at the moment. You know, it's, uh, it's very high in the sky for a long time. So I hope people are out there enjoying golf at night time, yeah, as they should. We're getting the occasional... Shocker, but uh, on the most part, the weather is certainly getting better uh, for us uh, here in, in Melbourne and, and all around the traps as well. Big week last week. Mm. Obviously, plenty of Australians in the field at the championship, but it was the American who obviously very nearly won the tournament last year mm. and Harold Varner the third, who comes back and gets the job done this time. Isn't it great when a character wins? Mm-hmm. It, it just changes yeah. the feel of the tournament, changes the feel of what we all talk about. Um, yeah, you, you can, everyone's not a character, but gee, it's nice when mm. one does actually get up and win. And the golf he played was unbelievable. I mean, that golf course is a hard course. I think the year before, even par or one under one. Mm. I mean, it's a tough course. You could see the grain on the greens was growing, the you know, all over the place. Hard to read. Um, Gray Marsh has done a fantastic job, is what they tell me. But I need to go up there and have a look for myself. But yeah, very difficult for the players to pick the putts. Um, but when you're in a tournament up to your neck on the back nine, and it's a good tournament to win, it's a mm-hmm. European tour event, uh, and it's a windy day, I think it was like 35-kilometre winds, when you shoot the lowest score of the day mm-hmm. and you're in contention and, in fact, you win and you've shot the lowest score of the day in the hardest part of the day to play, which is you know, late, then that is a mighty, mighty performance. It was a low round of the day. It was the equal low round of the tournament. He shot a 65 in the first round also. So, you know, I'm scratching my head. This guy needs to win more often on the big tour, US yeah. tour, where, where, he, where he's a member. When, when I watch his swing, he's, got, he's just got such a beautiful, simple swing. Um, a lot of the players these days, you, you hear this, it's almost a catchphrase, they have mm-hmm. a short arm swing. Mm-hmm. So his arms don't do much in the golf swing. It's more shoulders and wrist action. And, you know, the, it, it, we talk about um, minim, minimalizing movement in mm-hmm. your golf swing Min- minimalist and he is a minimalist golfer it's fantastic to watch and you know min- minimalist golfers peter thompson was one um harold varner the third clearly is aaron badley always looks like it is to me mm-hmm. but it gets a bit dodgy through impact um aaron but the simple swings are often the best peter lonard is another one um the guys who not not much is actually happening they seem to be the ones that play well under pressure um and we just need to see Harold Varner. I mean, after shooting that score on that day, uh, it, it's not going to surprise anyone to see him play really well. Unless, of course, he stays up too late playing blackjack every <laughs> single night. <laughs> Everyone's got a little weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some mm-hmm. of the best players in the world stayed out very, very late, Dasher. Mm-hmm. Very, very late. Uh, Walter Hagen was probably the first. Some probably needed it, obviously. Yeah, uh, well, some, everyone, everyone's different. So, yeah. you know, just a, a lot of people relax that way. If he's relaxing, you know, winning some money or losing money or staying up late, then that's the way it is. How good was um, was John Daly, I guess, if he wanted to be? No, now that's a that's an interesting question. He, or, if, or did he need to do what he needed to do or what he was yeah, doing to uh, to be good? Yeah, I'll put it this way. If yeah. John Daly grew up in China mm-hmm. or Russia and they forced him to practice, 
And I don't think John Daly would have been John Daly. Mm. You know, John Daly growing up in America where flair is, you mm-hmm. know, is welcomed um, and pretty much left to his own devices as far as practice was concerned. Because, you know, if John Daly doesn't perform, it doesn't matter. We'll find somebody else who performs. Um, you know, when he was at the University of Arkansas, you know, if, mm. if he doesn't perform, we'll just recruit someone, another kid who can. So... Uh, I think he, growing up in America, made John Daly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, if he was, mm-hmm. you know, if they forced him to practice in China, if they forced him in Russia, or you know, one of those countries that um, discipline is the key to their sport, then John Daly, yeah, he would have been something else. He would have been digging ditches. He would have mm-hmm. been, you know, something else. He would have been a postman. Who knows? He might have been an executive. Who who knows mm-hmm. what John Daly would have done? But he wouldn't have been the player uh, that he became. Looking at some of the other performances from the, the championship, Adam Scott finding a bit more form after the other previous couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Dote, obviously a strong, strong campaign. He still looks the best of yeah. all the players, yeah. you know, from Peter Green. But um, it was amazing that last day he hit the ball like rubbish and, and hold putts and still shot a decent score. Mm. So yeah. it just shows you it's a rotten game. You mm. know, if you, if you hit it like a dream and those first couple of putts don't go in, um, Mm-hmm. Then it's frustrating for him, mm-hmm. and the frustration holds him back. He's he, I, he's, he, he's got to find a way to enjoy missing putts. Or his goal is not the ball going in. Mm-hmm. His goal should be just hitting a good putt. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a lot of people uh, should be like that because I, I, I say this all the time that golf greens aren't uh, they're not billiard tables. Yeah, there are bumps. And, and if humps. it doesn't go in, it can still be a good putt. You've so. just got to know yeah. yourself. Yeah, it's actually a great drill. So mm-hmm. we might go early with a. We'll do the masterclass at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. But a great drill to do when you're putting uh, is when on the practice putting green before you play is to actually hit putts and not look up, mm-hmm. and call it in your mind, good, bad, perfect, mm-hmm. or it should go the other way, bad, good, perfect. Yeah, is what you got to say. So you hit the putt, mm-hmm. and you. Without looking where the ball goes, just the feel, just yeah. the feel, yeah. and even you know, it got to the stage. I know the pros will go um, short right for a long putt. Mm-hmm. That's in short left. Oh, I've hit that too hard and left. Mm-hmm. So being able to call the putt before you look up helps your touch. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what um, if I was his coach, if I was Adam Scott's coach, and I understood how frustrated he gets from hitting the ball to ten foot all the time, and the putts just won't go in. We've got to set a different goal for him. The goal's mm-hmm. not the ball going in the goal is hitting a beautiful putt mm-hmm. and if you hit those beautiful putts um, you've got to be happy mm-hmm. if you hit a great putt and it doesn't go in well stiff yeah you know it's, you didn't read it right or you or, or hit a bump along the way or it got a hop along the way yeah but his goal is probably look if like I said if I was his putting coach mm-hmm. I'd change his goals would be the first thing I'd do. A little bit later in the program, we'll discuss a, a pretty significant rule change. We'll also have a chat about a few other things as mm. well. But uh, I guess summarising some of the other performances, anything else stand out, be it good or bad, for, for you uh, from the uh, from the championship? From the PGA Championship? Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing that I'm big on is that it's a European event. Mm-hmm. Ashley Hall, uh, who mm-hmm. paid his European membership at the start of the week, picked up 100000 Australian dollars going towards... Mm-hmm. Um, getting a card next year. So that's the positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, well done to the Australian PGA. It was a $1.5 million tournament, making it you know, uh, a, a richer tournament than the Australian Open, which mm-hmm. doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well done to them for doing it. Uh, but yeah, the, the only other positive was that all the other players in the field trying to get somewhere 
Um, well, hopefully there's a few more who actually paid their European Tour membership before the week started. But mm-hmm. Ashley Hall was, was on the ball there. Probably helped that he won 100000 bucks at the Australian Open <laughs> a couple of weeks previous. Mm-hmm. He had a, had a little bit of money in the till. Um, so that start and that finish, hopefully he gets a few more finishes along the way, um, and he becomes a European Tour player. Because you know, two weeks ago before the Australian Open, he was, he was on seek.com.au looking yeah. for work. Yeah. So he's clearly a good player. I mean, where did he finish last week? Fourth or fifth? Or yeah. Top five, isn't yeah, yeah. yeah, top five finish in a European Tour event. Uh, two weeks previous, he loses to a former world number one in a playoff at the Australian Open. And literally, he mm. has been looking for work. Mm. So uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, the people at the PGA and, and the CEO, Brian Thorburn, stepped down during the week. The people at the PGA, Golf Australia... Hopefully they see this as a priority at some stage, mm-hmm. that playing well in our tournaments, there is currency in that around the world. Harold, go and ask Harold Varner. Mm-hmm. Go and ask um, uh, Jordan Spieth. There is currency in winning our events. So let's yeah. make it to where our good finishes for our local guys gets them somewhere, mm-hmm. not just one Asia. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I say it every week. One day someone's going to do something about it. It's great that we've got two tournaments in this country now lined up with the European Tour, with the Perth, uh, the the Perth tournament, the match play tournament, the six hole match play tournament, uh, and now the PGA. But until all these tournaments are lined up in February, where good players can come down and enjoy them, and they they are all on the European Tour, then we're not looking after our local talent mm-hmm. like we should be. It's a very good point. We'll have a chat about Tiger Woods' comeback a bit later on as well with some really encouraging signs. But we're going to hear a chat next, a fascinating chat you guys had during the week mm. in regards to, uh, obviously, course preparations and, and layouts. Who are we going to hear from here? Yeah, that's right. Richard Forsyth is his yeah. name. He's the superintendent at Royal Melbourne Golf Club. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, whole, the whole conversation came up, Dash, because mm. I'm a member at Kingston Heath. Uh, we saw the World Cup being played there, and the Greens were absolutely magnificent. The Port Phillip... Uh, Amateur Championship is on there at the moment. Um, and the Greens, like, they are perfect. Mm. And they're getting called on Monday and Tuesday. And I just thought we'd get him on to, to have a chat about why golf courses need their Greens called. Because at Royal Melbourne, they don't call them. At other golf courses around the world, they do. Some places in, in Melbourne, they're calling them twice a year, mm. which seems ridiculous to me. Um, but, you know, I can't complain at Kingston Eight. They're perfect. Mm-hmm. The Greens at Kingston are the perfect 11 months of the year. It is unbelievable. But I thought we'd get Richard Forsyth mm-hmm. to give us some pros and cons and why they don't core yep. at Royal Melbourne, why they do at other joints. And I think people who really love the game and get frustrated with the coring, I think they'll get something out of it. So that's to look forward to later in the, in, in, in the show. We'll hear from Richard very, very shortly listening to The Clubhouse. In your life have you seen anything like that? You're listening to The Clubhouse. Welcome back. It is the Clubhouse. Darren Parkin here with Mark Allen as part of Chasing Birdies with, uh, of course, Craig Spence and Mark Allen. Richard Forsyth was on the program, as we just mentioned, superintendent of the Royal Melbourne Golf Course. So it's a really interesting chat. The feedback was terrific in regards to his expertise on course layout and preparation, and we'll bring you that now. G'day, Richard. Thanks for your time. G'day, Mark. Craig. Hey, Richard. Hey, Richard. You, you heard the little intro there. Um, some clubs are coring. Um, Maybe not every year, but uh, every couple of years, sometimes every three years. I, I've heard a little whisper that Royal Melbourne haven't called their greens for, for quite some time. Before before we get into it, is, is that right? Uh, yes, that's correct. Since um, we redid the, um, <clears throat> the green surfaces back in 2000, 
nine when I first went there, so we yeah. haven't really taken a corer to them since then. So is that because of the type of grass and the soil, or is it a different theory that you're running with, Rich? Uh, I think, you know, the renovation process is very um, course-specific, but for, for us at Royal Melbourne, I suppose, I'm using some of the old um, techniques, I guess, you know, Claude Crockford that was there in charge for 40-odd years. He, he didn't ever core the greens, and I sort of using a bit of his techniques, given we're using the old Sutton's mix grasses, which aren't very vigorous, so they don't make a lot of um, organic matter or, or thatch, so we can get away without doing it. And, yes, the sort, the sands are so, um, you know, they're firm and they're conducive to growing good turf, so, you know, you don't have to sort of open them up uh, as much as you might on a, on a sort of an artificial type um, green uh, surface. Mm. Richard, is it right that some... Some green um, um, constructions are better suited for coring than, than others are. Well, you'd, if you build the sort of the USGA model with the you know the gravel layer and the sand and then in the turf, mm. you know you often you really need to keep uh, opening those up to sort of let the, the moisture through because um, you know they can seal over on the on the surface and the drainage isn't. Uh, isn't always that great, but you know, Royal Melbourne's so good at um, you know spilling the water off um, off the surface because of the the, you know, the contouring there and, and sort of a lot of the drainage is, is surface runoff. So, Richard, if we dug up a, a a Royal Melbourne green, would it would it be just ter- would it be the sandy soil that we see in the edges of the bunkers? What would be underneath most of the most of the greens at, at Royal Melbourne? Yeah, pretty much what you would call push-up green. So they've just been uh, formed up out of the local sand. So they're not probably uh, perfectly consistent through the whole 36 holes. So, you know, there's slightly different sand types in all the different areas. So they do just behave and react a little bit differently. So, but yeah, they're, they're, virtually, they're just pu- pushed up out of the uh, out of the sand in the, in the area. So in some respects, they either... Know, cut, cut into the hill and pulled it forward, or they uh, dug the bunkers out and formed up the shapes that way. Right. So it's purely local sand that's been used, and then that's part of the secret is why they're uh, why they the way they are. And you know, I heard you say before, you know, they're firm. Uh, certainly, that type of sand is conducive to making them firm. Okay, uh, well, just off the SMS, Richard, we're getting you know some reports that some golf clubs are are coring twice a year and. Um, you know, it, it, that seems excessive to to a lot of people. Um, it, when you call like a power green, I know a lot of the clubs. It's very expensive to keep the power out of the greens once they've been laid down. Uh, is, is that a reason for coring? Is it to try and keep power out? I mean, we're, we're always scratching our heads. People who play every week, we don't know as as much as you. So I, I apologise if they're pretty simple questions for you to answer. But we'd love to, we'd, we'd love to know. Um, well, we always hear that, that one about, uh, oh, they're just perfect. Why, why are you <laughs> destroying them? And yeah. It's almost the same on fairways. You know, oh, the fairways are great, and then all of a sudden someone takes a scarifier and rips the hell out of them. So you, you do that because you want to do it in the, in the growing season when it's going to re- recover um, best, you know, when it's growing at its best. But, you know, the trade-off for Royal Melbourne is that we say, and, and this is, again, a, a Claude Crockford um, system is that, uh, we did. We don't call, but every ten to fifteen years, we believe we will um, take the, the remove the turf and then cut the, the organic layer 
away and then relay the turf again. So uh, our trade-off to not coring is that we, we might need to close the green for sort of three or four weeks, mm. strip the turf off, take the organic matter right away and then relay it back down. That's how we manage our organic matter. And, of course, that's not for every golf club. So the alternative to that is to take a little bit away all the time and then refill it with sand. So mm. it's an important agronomic process. It's just that you know our grass type and sands and, and um, the way we manage our turf uh, allows us to do it this other way, which we think works very well for all Melbourne, but mm. may not work for others. Okay. Rich, with, with the Royal Melbourne and the Sutton Mix, at the, the grass that's on your greens and, and Kingston Heath, they're doing pretty well to keep the power out. The, with what the way that you're doing things, does that help keep the power out of the Royal Melbourne greens or is it simply the Sutton Mix is just so good? No, well, in, in fact, it's probably um, the power is more invasive in the Sutton's Mix because it's a, you know, it's a less vigorous grass. Some of those... You know, the American hybrid grasses that uh, people are using are very dense and tight, so mm. the power doesn't get a chance to come through it as much, whereas our grass, it does. But, uh, you know, we're very vigilant in, in what we do with our green-keeping methods, trying to, um, you know, manage it and not, not allow it to get a, get a hold in. But it's a, a, certainly a task that um, superintendents, uh, you know, battle with every day. If we didn't have to worry about that, it would be a relatively easy job. So, I was going to uh, ask, what, what percentage of your budget would go into eradicating power out of the greens a year? Oh, gee, that's a tough question. A lot, lot For us, a lot of labour goes into it because, you know, we, we're hand-pick it and we also spot spray it. So getting down to very fine detail in, in, mm. in trying to manage it. But um, yeah, for me, I, that, that's a good option because you know, if you, you boom spray a, a product over the top of the whole green, it can you know, be detrimental to the grasses you're trying to promote as well. So yeah. by spot spraying it, we're only treating the, the site-specific little areas. So, um, But yeah, very labour-intensive. Um, but yeah, getting back to that question about, for us, yeah, by not punching holes in it, that helps us not allow the power to seed and sort of um, have those right. voids where it's going to grow. So um, certainly, that that is a theory for us is that we don't open them up, and then that doesn't that helps us sort of keep the uh, the power out of them. Richard, when I when I lived in America, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with America, but when I lived in America, I, I was I lived in in Scottsdale, Arizona, and so in the summertime we'd be playing on Bermuda. It'd be it'd be a Bermuda, and then it'd get around to just after Christmas. And they would overseed the entire joint, so all the rough would go just bleached, you know, beige colour, mm. and around the edge of the bunkers. But on the fairways, they would overseed with a, I think it was like a ryegrass, rye grass, right? Ryegrass. Yeah. And it would happen within a couple of weeks. It almost seemed like a few days, Richard. And I've always wondered how, what they're actually doing and how they do it so quickly. Yeah, so that they would, um, you know, scalp down the. the they call it Bermuda grass, we call it cooch grass. Yep. So it's our summer growing grasses on fairways around Melbourne. Most courses would have that type of grass, but the finer varieties on greens, uh, obviously, but uh, they, they would scalp that down, make a bit of a seed bed, and then um, broadcast the, the rye grass over it. Now, rye grass will germinate very quickly, sort of five to seven days in the right sort of um, growing conditions, and uh, yeah, they seed that down, and then 
I think they, you know, the Americans are very fixated on playing on green grass, whereas here we we would sort of mm. be happy to have a little bit dormant or, or brown during the winter months. But over there, um, people like the green look. And I think, you know, Augusta plays on overseeded ryegrass um, in, in April mm. uh, every year. So, um, you know, it's probably a lot follow that, uh, that model to some extent as well. And, of course, that's, that's Bermuda grass. Um, uh, fairways there, and they they um, kill the rye grass off after the tournament and allow it to go back to the muted grass. Mm. Right, hey, Richard. While we've got you, I hope you don't mind us picking your brain. But uh, you know, it can be it can it's be fun. pretty. When we've got you, it's, it's pretty it's interesting, fun. Rich. I hope I hope you don't mind. No, um, no, no. Peninsula Golf Club. Now we've heard of their new grass on their greens. Mm. Um, what's it called? Impeccable or? I'm not sure, actually, but it's supposed to be impeccable. It's supposed to be unbelievable, whatever it is. Have you, have you gone down there to have a look at this stuff? And just how many, you know, if you have or you haven't, how do they do this? How do they find a strain of grass and and just multiply it? I just don't get it, how it works. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of um, these new varieties being uh, in the breeding programs in the US all the time, so they're always looking for that you know, next generation that's going to give you something more, you know, darker green colour or better performance during you know, heat stress or whatever it is. So there's, there's all these grasses in development all the time. So there's always these the new varieties coming out. Um, right. you know, I, I haven't been down to see the greens there. I know, I know they use the same variety um, up at Royal Canberra too on the greens. Yeah, that's it. So you know, I think you know you, when you build new greens and you seed them and, and these grasses are very vigorous and they sort of develop very quickly, um, you get that very pure, pristine surface that hasn't really been scarred too much from play and you know, uh, preparation. Uh, they can look uh, magnificent, but uh, I think you know we all we all call it in the, in our business that the honeymoon period when they're all new and everything's uh, pristine. It's sort of uh, ten years on, you know, yeah. you've got power coming into them and you've had all the traffic and. Well, the other things that uh, go with it—that's uh, that's the challenge. But uh, yeah, I've, I've heard that they're, they're great, and uh, you know, um, you know, we, we I suppose with our Sutton's mix uh, greens, we don't sort of we're not so worried about um, having pretty grass. We're we're more um, interested in how it uh, how it plays and reacts yeah. and bounces and those sort of things. So from time to time, our greens look pretty, yeah, pretty speckled and. and um, Discoloured and um, all that, but it's uh, it's how they play and, and uh, how, what we're trying to do with the management of them is very different to that that sort of those newer varieties. Uh, well, they certainly play unbelievable. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Hey, again, while we've got you, I keep on hearing experiments being done with with the fescue. You mentioned a second ago, Augusta have got the rye grass coming through. It's a zoysia bed, actually. Last time I was there, they told me it was a zoysia grass bed, uh, and they put the rye grass on. I keep on hearing about one day a golf club in the sandbelt is going to overseed fescue on top of their cooch bed. Now, is that absolute crap or could it be done? Well, no, it can definitely be done. Uh, would it work? Would it would it play the way that Royal Melbourne would like their course to play? Oh, look, in some respects, I'd love to have fescue fairways at Royal Melbourne, but it's just, for us, it's the water... Um, you know, the volume of water you would need. I mean, you, you, you know, you've been down to Barn Google and 
um, you know, admired the, the fescue fairways down there and, you know, the National have them and yeah. 13th Beach and so on. So, you know, I think fescue fairways are quite, um, you know, quite realistic. Uh, having the cooch and fescue mixture is difficult to, again, our old friend Power, it's difficult to keep that out of the, the two grasses because not one one product is going to... Um, be able to take the power out of both a warm season and a cool season grass together. And I, I, as I said, I, you know, we, we get criticised a little bit about, you know, I hear people say all the time about, you know, you've got a change in grass, you know, you go from the fairway cooch to the fescue to the bent grass. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it would be nice to have that consistency, consistency in fescue all the way. But, um, you know, the, the difficulty... The difficulty with that is just the you know the water requirement, and um, you know, and it's really not that practical for us. We just don't have that sort of volume of water. But um, uh, uh, I, I remember back in the old days, Rich of Royal Melbourne, it used to be have power fairways in winter, and then mm. they used, used to let the cooch run in summer. It was an amazing combination, uh, combination, yeah. and it, it yeah, used to happen so quickly as well. Yeah, you know, I think you know, we look at that model now, and you go. This, this, Transition times, you know, you know, spring to summer, and then you know, summer to to autumn. There yeah. was always a period where it was not one or the other, and it, they could be quite patchy and uh, um, not probably an acceptable surface uh, these days, the way people measure that. And I mean, we've even got a different surface in that we've got, you know, common cooch and, and overplanted with legend, and mm. that sort of is a very different surface to Santa Ana, and um, you know, it's more like the older cooch. Um, surface that was there, but um, you know, very different to the tightness, and, and um, uh, probably requires just a, a slightly different shot to play from the legend that it does uh, from yeah. the um, center around. But the, of course, you know, the ball rolls a lot less on the uh, on our broader leafed uh, grasses on the fairway, so that's right. part of the reason we do it. We'll get to a break. Plenty more to come on the clubhouse. In your life, have you seen anything like that? You're listening to the clubhouse. Welcome back to the clubhouse. Darren Parkin here with Mark Allen. A really big week in golfing news, not just here, but overseas, of course. And Tiger Woods' comeback will be our Honda Power Player of the Week. The Power Player of the Week. For Honda Power Equipment, Honda's four-stroke lawn and garden range from $329. And, of course, uh, that's only your specialist Honda dealer, $329. Honda's four-stroke lawn and garden range on sale. Shot a 65 in the middle there. Some good, obviously a little bit inconsistent at times. But what did you mm. make of the comeback? Uh, the bogey-free round in that yeah. second round was sensational. Uh, he made more birdies than anyone else in the field. Mm. I know a lot of people get excited about that, but it's, it's kind of easy in a tournament to make birdies when you're not in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like You're not chasing the, the, the victory, yeah. No. There were so many – we used to call them Tuesday champions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in practice rounds of golf tournaments when there's no pressure, mm. some of the golf that is being played is mm. out of this world. You know, when you've got one pro playing against another pro and there are caddies and mm-hmm. yardages given and, and, you know, lasers and everything else, so they know exactly how far to hit it. The golf that's played when they're playing for 50 bucks a hole or 100 bucks mm. a hole or 1000 a hole, <laughs> the golf that is played on mm. Tuesday is just out of this world. So – when a person like Tiger Woods is not in a in a tournament, he's really yeah. not in it. Um, and he, you know, he's making doubles and those triples he's made, and all the rest mm. of it. It's it's you know the bounce back of a couple of birdies here and there is is not as difficult as it seems. Mm. So Tiger Woods, yes, fantastic. The twenty five birdies, however many birdies he made for the week, more than everybody else in the field. 
Um, incredible. Mm-hmm. Well done. But all the bad stuff. Yeah. I, I, the, no, no one would have done as much bad stuff as Tiger as did Tiger. in yeah. the week. Yeah. <laughs> so when you look at it from that point of view, what, what do you count? It was 18-man field. I know mm. Justin Rose pulled out at the start of the week, so I think he finished like 15th in a 17-man field, mm. really. Mm. So third last, yeah. So third last. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, good signs, but so much bad stuff. Yeah. And the bad, it's new bad stuff. Once upon a time, he used to get stuck. Mm. He used to always say I was getting stuck and he'd hit the, yeah. big, the blocks to the right. Well, now he's hitting these little flippy things going left. Uh, and the left one's no good. And in the end, he was hitting shots right because he didn't want the ball to go left. And that happens a lot in the world of professional golf. So uh, he would have got a lot out of playing in a tournament again and a lot of focus on him. He would have got a lot out of that. And the feels that he has developed in his practice rounds and back at home, um, they will be adjusted for the next time he plays and he'll have a better idea of what's working with his new swing under pressure. So, yeah, great to see him get through the week and not be injured. He'll ha- he's, he's always on a cart, he said after the round, mm-hmm. after the week. He's got to start walking more in the practice and get the miles back in his legs. Um, but didn't get hurt. Lots and lots of bad stuff. For the week, so yeah, I think um, I think it was a par return. I don't think it was you know a disappointing return. I don't. There was a lot of uh, there was some good signs for him. He sh- like his short game. You know, he had the heebie-jeebies with the chip, mm-hmm. the heebie-jeebies, and I didn't see any heebie-jeebiness. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he he, yeah. he you know I think that sixty five mm-hmm. or one of the rounds he started off birdie 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 par birdie or he had mm-hmm. four birdies in the first five holes. So the putter's working. Uh, the chipping's working, but uh, he probably needs to set, sort a few things out under pressure. So we'll see what happens. And it's funny, it's funny. And I, you can see it on one of the cards flashed up. I think it was on the third last day, or maybe the last day, where he was making double bogeys on the par fives. Mm. So that's that's you know, yeah. He, he needs to find it. He needs to yeah. find out what to do to hit the ball hard again with. Again, another new swing. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things he's got to work on. Uh, and I guess just as a final thought on that, do you look at it and say we're seeing the bad that we never used to see and that's the concern or we're starting to see the good again and that's a reason to believe that he'll be back? No, every, everyone's good shots are good. Yeah. yeah. Your good shots are good, Dash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't happen very often. The, but, pros, the but, best pros don't hit yeah. bad shots mm-hmm. and or their bad shots are mm-hmm. very, very usable golf shots. Yeah. So... So that that's the key. Yeah, well, he's got he's got to get rid of the bad stuff, uh, and hope the good stuff hangs in there. Interesting rule change that that came through as we were sort of discussing it uh, yesterday. This is groundbreaking. Yeah, obviously, for golf. yesterday morning uh, off air when we were having a little bit of a chat about this one, the the RNA and the US PGA today announced the uh, the introduction of a new local rule that eliminates the penalty when a ball is accidentally moved on the putting green. It's a move that would have altered the way Dustin Johnson's controversial final round played Hallelujah. out. Yeah. During this year's US Open, so the rule as it stands for the, the new rule, it yeah. says when a player's ball lies on the putting green, there is no penalty if the ball or the ball marker is accidentally moved by the player, his yeah. partner, his opponent, or any Correct. of the caddy's equipment. The move ball or marker must be replaced. So this rule will come in formally mm-hmm. uh, in 2018. I think yeah. they change the rules every four years. So mm-hmm. what they've done though, after Dustin Johnson, now if, if you think back mm-hmm. to Dustin Johnson at the US Open, the greens are running at 14. Anything can make a ball move. And the close-up of Dustin Johnson's putter behind the ball, he did not touch that ball. Mm -hmm. He didn't even ground the club. Mm -hmm. But the RNA and the the USGA said he caused the ball to move. Mm -hmm. So ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It was a joke. The the, the 
what the pros were tweeting and saying it was it was actually disgusting yeah and the fact that he won the tournament just thank goodness he won the mm-hmm. tournament but it was the worst rule I've ever seen in golf yeah uh, and the worst way they to apply a rule that I've ever seen in the history of sport you got all these low you got all these cameras you got everything mm. and he did not touch the ball I don't think he even grounded the club he grounded the club beside the ball and then when he went to go to the ball, as he was moving the putter head to the ball, the ball rolled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ridiculous. So the new rule has taken—it's taken three hundred years. <laughs> but how <laughs> a simple, little bit over, Jim. How simple a rule is it? Yeah. If you accidentally move a ball on a putting green, back. Yeah. You just put it back. Yeah. So it's almost <laughs> almost like uh, billiard rules where you accidentally yeah, yeah, yeah. or the ball it's rolls. Pub rules. Or, yeah, that's it's right. Pub rules. Yeah. And and pub rules should should be in golf because. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we claim in the golfing world that it's the highest integrity sport mm-hmm. of any sport. Yet, if we tell you that I didn't move that ball, I, 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 it accidentally moved. Mm-hmm. I accidentally moved it. Well, then surely my integrity, because I'm playing this sport, comes into yeah comes into into the equation somehow. Mm-hmm. But for years, for 300 years, it hasn't. Um, and finally, they've got it right. Now, yes, there's an element of it, not now, quite. Now, what was the guy's name at the Masters? Uh, it was Billy Horschel. Billy Horschel. Now, yeah. it was a windy master, US Masters this year. Mm-hmm. Billy Horschel marks his ball on the 13th hole, um, puts the ball back, takes the marker away, a gust of wind blows, and the ball blows into the hazard. Into the water, yeah. Into the water. That's mm-hmm. right. So, in the, the rules of golf, Stiff, and that's still the case, and that is yeah. still the case. Which it say, says, if it is determined that a player's ball or the putting green uh, on the putting green was moved as a result of wind, water, or some other natural cause, such as mm. the effects of gravity, the ball must be played as it lies from its new location. A ball yeah. marker moved in such circumstances, however, is replaced. Correct. So only if the ball moves. Right. So how's this for a crazy? So, so accidentally, yeah. if you're having a practice putting stroke and you accidentally move the ball, yeah, you can move it straight back. Yeah, but. If the wind blows it and it goes into the water, yeah, stiff. But if the wind blows your marker, you can move it, but <laughs> not the ball. Oh, so. <laughs> so they've gone halfway, mm. and they're just foolish for doing it. I mean, seriously, once you've marked the ball on the green, mm-hmm. once you've marked the ball on the green, that's it. You find a way to get the ball in that spot, and you play mm. it from that spot. Well, yeah. We've seen – I remember Colin Montgomery at Royal <laughs> Melbourne one year. Mm. On the fifth hole of part three, windy day, he did it 20 feet past the hole. Marks the ball, picks it up, washes the ball, puts the ball down, picks up his marker. So the ball's in play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's having some practice putting strokes next to the ball, gust of wind, and the ball blows uh, forward mm-hmm. towards the hole and rests two feet from the hole. <laughs> so he calls for a ruling. The ruling is you, call, you play it where it lies. Yeah, so he goes up and taps in the two-footer yeah. and, and, and makes his makes his birdie. And like Billy Horschel at the, mm, at, mm. At the Augusta, same thing happens. The ball's in play, the wind blows, and it goes in. I mean, come on. Yeah. It is just yeah. a stupid rule. So if you're going to say if you accidentally move the ball on the putting green, um, you can just move it back without a penalty, mm. surely we make the rule to where once you have marked the ball on the putting green, that's the spot. Yeah. That is the spot. So if the if gravity forces it to move, or if the wind forces it to move, or if a bird pooing on your ball forces mm-hmm. it to move, whatever it is, yeah, you just move it back. Yeah, that's logic. That I mean, just so the RNA and the USGA with all these brilliant minds couldn't differentiate yeah. between the two. <laughs> Come on, so many sports are slow on logic. That's Come for sure. On. We do have to get to a break. We're here for Club Mandalay. Play golf at Club Mandalay Golf in Melbourne's North. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. Marco's Masterclass next.
in your life have you seen anything like that? You're listening to The Clubhouse. Yes, you are. Darren Parkin here with Mark Allen. Hit the golf course. Play golf at Club Mandalay. Visit clubmandalay.com.au. To finish, uh, we always like to uh, get the thoughts of Marco with Marco's Masterclass. Marco's Masterclass. Good work, Dash. Now, in the honour of Shigeki Mariama, who's mm-hmm. the hottest golfer in the world. We saw him win last week uh, in the Bahamas. Uh, I think that's... Ooh, four tournaments in five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. We saw him down here in Victoria mm. as well, playing the World Cup. So he's been everywhere. One of HSBCs also. So he's the hottest player in the world. And you would have noticed that pause at the top. Yes. Uh, Tiger, Tiger Woods noticed it too. Uh, mm-hmm. They got Tiger in last week a couple of times. Um, and while Shigeki was playing, he talked about the pause and said, look, it's a drill that every professional golfer has done. And I, I've done mm. it too. Mm. When you've got quick hips. So this is directed at all the younger golfers out there and some of the older. But when you've got really quick hips, what it does, your hips go way too early. The club gets way behind your body, uh, and you either hit the big snap hook or a big block. I used to do it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Tiger Woods used to do it as a kid. And by the looks of it, Shigeki Mariyama used to do it as a kid as well. So a drill that Tiger did, a drill that I used to do as well to slow the hips down, was to pause at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, Shigeki has turned it into a little pause at the top. Mm-hmm. So the kitten's technique, mm-hmm. of course, because they've got little paws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah gotcha. So, so the, little yeah. Pause, the little pause at the top slows down your mm-hmm. hips. Um, now, when I say little pause, I'm talking a fraction of a second. Yeah. If you feel like... But noticeable, yeah. yeah if you feel yeah. like there is a fraction of a second pause at the top, mm-hmm. then that slows your hips down. Mm-hmm. So what Shigeki is doing, he's taking to... I, I, I imagine that's exactly what's happened there. Mm-hmm. Wayne Grady used to have an enormous pause at the top as well. So if you've got quick hips, if you feel like the club gets behind you, if that's what your coach is talking about, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they say your, your arms get behind your body, uh, the mini pause at the top... Doesn't have to be a shigeki pause, but mm-hmm. the mini pause at the top certainly helps that out. And I've always found when you when you're thinking about stopping at the top for the mini pause, mm-hmm. it actually slows your swing down as well. Yeah. It slows your back swing down. Mm-hmm. So a slow body turn to the top, that mini pause, and then business as usual down to the ball. Hopefully that gets your hips and your arms and your hands coming down in the right sequence, and you'll hit better shots. In fact, you won't do what Tiger did last week. Mm. You you'll hit as many. Uh, you'll hit ma- many more good shots and lots less bad shots. And on him, how good can he be? And would you be frustrated if you're in that run of form when the season's about to end? When you want to, uh, you you want to roll <laughs> yes. in, you want to start in yes. that sort of touch. Yes, yeah. yes. I don't know what he's going to do. He's going yeah. back to Japan. I heard after mm. the tournament, he's going back to the freezing cold mm. uh, winter of Japan, and he's just going to spend some time with family. So I hope mm. he comes out the other end playing well. I'd love to see him contending in majors. He's a great player. You don't know whether he's hitting a good shot or a bad shot when they see it on the TV, but uh, the ball is going a million miles. Even with that mini pause, it's going a million miles, and he's a, a magnificent chipper of the ball. I mean, a, he's probably the the best Japanese chipper I've ever seen. So he can he's a, he's a, he's a gun. Where is he? Now? He's got to be a top five player in the world these days. We'll, uh, we'll get that one up and, and sort of tweet that out as to where he is in the world currently. But I think he is top five yeah. on, based on what we've seen over the, uh, over the last well, few weeks. Obviously. He's actually the number – if you just look yeah. in the last two on months, form, yeah. he's the number one player and, in the world. And the points he'd be picking up uh, along the way as well. Marco, thank you as always. Good on you, Dash. Take it easy. We'll be back for the clubhouse again next week as we draw closer to Christmas here for Club Mandalay. More to come next week.